Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergera.com. Fantastic. Have a seat. Have a seat. I know it's out of the norm, but we are so about that life. Thank you, Eden. Thank you, Joshua. Thank you, Takeover Worship, for leading so bravely and prophetically in that moment. We're so grateful for you. Takeover Church, we're so grateful for you and your willingness to traverse some unknown terrain with us this morning, but we have seen God move in this building. If you have, yes, I can say, if you've received from the King this morning, would you make some noise? He's not done yet moving. We're going to see more healing come this morning. And if you're willing to go there with me, we're going to go after the glory this morning. Amen. Oh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm Pastor Matt. And uh, I have the honor and privilege of leading this battalion of blessed and anointed misfits of the Messiah. <laughs> but we believe the word of God is true. We believe that let God be true and every man be a liar, that we do not raise or lower to the level of our experiences, but instead we will go after the word of God in its entirety. We will believe every word. We will believe every Selah. We will believe every pause. We will believe every punctuation. We will believe everything he spoke and everything he is speaking from his throne in Jesus' name. Amen? Oh, trust me, I... Uh, I asked the Lord, I, I said, I said, do something significant today. <laughs> not because I've demanded, not because, not because it's me, but because I think you just got a house full of willing people who are willing to say, God, is, <laughs> we'll be here. We'll be here and we'll be here as long as it takes and we'll be here doing whatever it takes that you have a willing party. Would you come? It's amazing what he's able to do with obedient people. It's amazing what he's able to do with obedient people. Amen. Last week we talked about the fire that's only found in blind faith. And I believe this morning, not only have we found it, we've tapped it. And now it's our duty. It is our duty before the throne of heaven to steward this faithfully. Amen. That right now we have a chance. We have a chance. Some embers were created. There were some hot coals poured out. There is a fire that is budding in this house. And now you and I together collectively have the responsibility to steward this. That means when the enemy comes, when your flesh rises up, when principalities and demons start speaking to you, trying to talk you out of what the Lord did in this room today, you fight like all of heaven. Like you know that you're covered in the blood. Like you know that you're filled with the Spirit. Like you know that God is true and every man, demon, devil, flesh and hell is a liar. And you remind yourself what he did today. And you fight for that and you fight for that and you fight for that. And when doubt starts to seek in, you don't allow doubt to sit at your table. Instead, you invite others over. <laughs> you invite others to your table and you say, hey, I'm struggling with November 12th, 2023. Remind me what happened in that room. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? 
We talked about it last week. You've got to get a vision for your expectations. I'm telling you, your expectations will either rise or fall to the greatness or the smallness of your vision. Are you hearing me? Prophet Zach and I were talking about it this week. We were talking about it. Friends, there is a, there is a, <laughs> there is a way to level up in this life. But in order to level up, you've got to revel up. What do I mean? You've got to get your revelation up. You've got to get your revelation up. You've got to revel up to level up, baby. Somebody say it with me. Revel up to level up. I am telling you, the higher we can get our eyes, the higher we will get our faith. The greater we can see him, the greater will our faith be. The clearer we can see him, the clearer our faith will be. Amen? Heck, we'll go a step further. The clearer we can see him, the clearer our doubts will be. And we'll know where to begin to pray. Lord, help me with my unbelief. That's going to be a great prayer because we have been fed a heretic diet in West Michigan called Satanism, where we believe in a moral God but not a powerful God. We believe Jesus can give you life lessons to keep you on the straight and narrow, but there's not enough power found in the blood of Jesus yet to actually get you through the narrow way. That is heresy. It's condemned. I condemn it before you. And we will not allow God to simply be all truth and no power because Jesus said a time will come when my followers will worship me. What is worship? A life laid down in sacrificial obedience unto the Lamb. There will be a time when my followers will worship me in both spirit and in truth. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Both power and morality. God is the truth, let every man be a liar. And I refuse. I refuse to go to my grave. I refuse to let breath leave my lungs. I refuse for this church to die. I refuse for this life to end without seeing the goodness of God in the land of the living. Amen. Are you with me? I've seen too much. Have you seen too much? Have you seen too much? I can't be satiated. I've seen demons and I've seen them run. I've seen the broken and I've seen them run. I've seen the lame and I've seen them run. I've seen the sick go and come back healed. I have seen cancer leave in Jesus' name. I've seen too much to ever believe any less. In fact, from what I've seen, I've got to believe for more. And I will make no apologies of a church who's less daring and less bold will be better suited for you. I rebuke you in Jesus' name, and I tell you there's more. If you all leave after this, I have no other chance to tell you this. I have no other chance to tell you what God has done through Jesus Christ on the cross. And let me tell you, it is the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. It is done. The lamb was slain and the Lord has overcome hell, sin, death, sickness, and the grave. Amen? Amen. It's insane because I was here Friday morning in the prayer meeting. There's like six of us. Yes, I do say that to slightly provoke some of you. Because I'm telling you, the Lord moves different with people who are hungry. 
Some of us were hungry enough to come at 6 a.m. We're not so full that we only come on Sundays. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> Let me tell you, the Lord met me and I was praying in tongues and this happens quite frequently. You see, there's a big debate around tongues and it's stupid because we see both in the word of God, but there's a, there is a celestial form of tongues, which is a heavenly language that the devil himself is not able to interpret. The word of God shows us that it's between God and his sons, between God and his daughters. It's a celestial language that we see. It's called inaudible. It says the devil's not able to snuff it out in 1 Corinthians. This is what Paul is talking about. And then there's another moment of tongues where all of a sudden the Galileans and everyone else around is going, they're speaking in languages that are not their native tongue, which means they are native in the earth, just not native to those that were speaking it. And before there was ever Rosetta Stones, <laughs> there were tongues of fire. <laughs> Amen? And in that moment, what happened was, was they began to hear interpretations of whom Jesus is in their native tongues, the onlookers, that is, through people who did not speak those. And this Friday morning, the Lord gave me, he's happened a few times, usually I'm praying in just unknown celestial heavenly languages, which is what we mean here when we say, hey, lift up your heavenly language. If you've got an utterance, if you've got a tongue, if God has birthed that in you so far, you start speaking that out, praying that out, and just building yourself up in your most holy faith, as Paul puts it. And then there's other times where he gives you words in a native tongue. And it turns out the Lord decided this Friday to bless me with some Japanese. <laughs> I know. I was like, Lord, I have not seen enough anime to understand what you are saying. Because it's demonic. Anyways, so uh, that was a joke. Calm down, nerds. And he gave me a word, bo bit asado, bo bit asado, bo bit asado. It's actually three words. It's a phrase, and they all mean something different. It's interesting, too, because the way most, uh, shall we put it, I'm going to say Asian languages, most of them kind of run in a very differing thing. It's like one go the last one is actually first. <laughs> the first one's actually last, and the middle one's kind of off to the side. It's a strange language. So if you know anything about most Asian languages, especially Mandarin, which is a form of Chinese, it's very difficult to learn because of how difficult it is to actually master word placement. Have you heard about this? Am I alone? Well, Bo Bidasato actually is interesting because Bo, Bo means grave. Bo means grave. But he gave it to me first. That means it's last. Bida means hero. Means the hero. Bida means the hero. And Sato means the pursuit of great tea. <laughs> which is the most Japanese thing of all time. <laughs> it's awesome. I was like, I'm going to, I walked away going, I need to drink more tea. That's a word from the Lord. The, the great pursuit of the hero of the grave. The great pursuit of the hero of the grave. God has made it known. My son is the hero of the grave. And you need to make it your highest priority to pursue the hero of the grave. The one who conquers the grave. The one who has put its grave in its place. The one who has said to the grave, you do not have the last word. You also may have five letters, but the name Jesus has a greater five letters. You cannot overcome the son. And I felt there was a word to our church birthed in me. And Zach and I have both been feeling it over the last number of months. 
The Lord is groaning as the earth has started shaking, as wars and rumors of wars are breaking out, as all eyes begin to be fixed again on Israel. All these things are happening. As you look outside, you wonder what chapter of Revelation you're going to experience today. All these things are groaning because creation is crying out for the return of the Lamb, the return of the King. And it's high tide. The church started crying out for Lord Jesus to be Lord Jesus. Jesus yet again. That's who he is. He is Jehovah Ratha, the Lord, what? Our healer. That's who he is. I came today prepared with a word called holy fire. Holy fire, if you're taking notes. Holy fire. Ironically enough, a lot of what we just covered moments ago, we're in, we're in my prepared time with the Lord already. So he knows what he's doing. He's writing a far better story than you or I ever could. Amen. The hero of the grave. Oh. Bo Bittasato. The pursuit of the hero of the grave. I just... I, I wonder what would happen if you and I sat patiently, quietly before the Lord, like the prophet Angie was giving our team before service. By the way, if you're not serving and if you don't come yet to team rally, you should start serving so you can come to team rally because not only are there uh, nuggets, I would say they are full-blown gems. They are bricks of gold that are laid out for our team. Why? Because generally those who serve in church are the ones giving the most to build the church. And I am telling you, they need to be built up significantly. So our team rallies, they are not softballs, or as Prophet Angie put it this morning, it is not baby food, we bring the meats. And I'm telling you, I wonder what would happen in your life if you just began to sit there, pray to Lord Jesus and say, reveal yourself to me as the hero of the grave. Reveal to me the Jesus that is the hero of the grave, the one God the Father has called his son, the hero of the grave. This is not new revelation. I do not claim to be a forthcoming or whatever. I'm simply telling you what the Lord told me in my prayer time. And it's entirely emphatically backed up by the word of God. Amen? Because we know, in fact, he is the hero of the grave. Holy fire. I want to live with holy fire. We're going to get to Malachi 1, 6 through 14 in just a moment. So if you've got your Bibles, feel free to turn there. But we'll get to it. Today is obviously very different. So let's just go with the flow. Let's let the spirit do his thing. And we're okay with that, right? Okay. Some of us are unsure. Pastor, you know where we're going? No, we'll figure it out together, okay? It's good. Right now, while all of the earth is quaking, what's interesting is, is so much of the church, we've decided to cry out for judgment towards the world. But if you read scripture, especially the book of Revelation, what you will find out is that before God comes to judge the world, God first comes to judge his own house. God isn't interested in judging everybody else's house before he's made judgment on his own. And in this time right now, we are beginning to see the upheaval, the overthrowing, and the exposing of those in God's house. And believe me, I say this with great trepidation and fear and reverence of the Lord because it means to me 
that now is the time to be more fasted, to be more less of me and more of him, to rid Matt McClure of all that is still Matt McClure and make the great pursuit be the one of the hero of the grave, that I would be far more Jesus before you today than I was five years ago when this all started. And may it be said of us that by the time all of us are done on our trips around the sun, that we would all look more like the sun than ourselves. Because while the judgment is starting in his own house, there is an upheaval, there is an exposing, and it's good, it's merciful, it's kind. See, there's a maturity in this hour that God is beginning to bring about on his bride. You see, he is, he is preparing a bride to give to his son. That means we have to be trustworthy. That means we have to be powerful. That means we have to be built up. That means we have to be radiant. That means we have to be blemishless. That means we have to be pure. I'm fully aware that blemishless is not a word, but it makes sense. Listen, what he is doing in this hour cannot be missed on us. We need prophets again in the house to tell us what is going on. Right now, the Lord is reinstituting and reorienting a bride that's not built on fluff, that has no time for candy, cotton, candy, cotton preachers, that just because it's big doesn't mean it's holy, and vice versa, just because it's small doesn't mean it's holy. Just because it bears his name doesn't mean that it resembles his name. Are you hearing me? Just because it bears the name of Christ it does not mean it's like Christ. You see, a lot of Christians today, it's being exposed, and this is all part of where we're going. It's being exposed right now that while the word Christian means little Christ, we've got a lot of people out here taking on the name of Christ, but not the nature of Christ. We got a lot of people taking on the name of Christ, but not the nature of Christ. You see, they took the phrase Christian a little too literal, and they've been a little like Christ instead of being little Christ's. I preach to anybody this morning. They've been a little, Morgan, my biggest fan. They've been a little like Christ instead of being little Christ and it's being exposed in the earth right now. You see, our God, he shows us all throughout scripture. He says, listen, God the Father, he is moved by one sound. It's the sound of his son. It's the sound of his son. And if you choose to bear his name, but do not resemble him, and do not sound like him, and do not live like him, and do not offer yourself like him, and do not worship like him, if you are only like Jesus in name alone and not in nature alone, he will not move towards you. So many Christians today, we're looking around and we're going, where did the great divorce happen? Where did the great divorce happen between Pentecost and church in 2023? When did we divorce him? When did we leave him? When did the covenant cease? When did it break? What happened to God moving amongst his people? Friends, I came to declare to you today, there was no great divorce 
The covenant did not cease. It's simply become a marriage of convenience where the name is kept for tax purposes, where the name is kept for prominence, where the name is kept so you can be identified as his, but looking nothing like you've ever been his. You ever seen a divorce and how one or both of the spouses go haywire and suddenly they're nothing like you ever knew them to be whilst they were married? (laughs) Isn't that interesting? As we look back through time, as we look back through history, as we look back through the church, there was a time, friends, when the church, the bride, and Jesus, the bridegroom, they looked very much alike. And suddenly, the name Christ became convenient, but the life of Christ became incredibly inconvenient. Suddenly, we got a little too comfortable with being a little like Christ instead of living as a little Christ because a sacrifice would be great problem is God only has moved towards sacrifices of his sons are you hearing me the sacrifice became great but God only moves on the backside of sacrifice the amount needed as an offering for a move of God became too great but what we see all throughout scripture is that God actually only moves on the other side of great offerings And I'm not talking about tithes and offerings. I'm not talking about bringing the tithes to the storehouse, scripture, all the good stuff. I'm not talking about that right now. I am talking about your life, my life, this church, this time, this hour. Will it be said of us that we joined in with the rest of the West and church became about us and not about him? Or will we join in with the church that looked like him, acted like him, sounded like him, sure as heck was married to him, and church isn't about us, it's about him. I'm telling you, now is the time where those who are married in name alone are being exposed, and right now, right now is time for the ones who are like him in nature first to rise up. Now is the time. Now is the time to take swings like we did this morning where we feel the word of God is going forth in the room and he's saying, if you will make a moment for me to heal, I will heal. If you will give me the time to deliver, I will deliver. If you will put yourself out there, don't turn the cameras off because best believe I thought about it. Well, if nothing happens today, we can't get, let this get out there. The Lord rebuked me so fast. I had fire up my spine. I was like, I don't want to go to hell. Okay. (laughs) I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Great is the sacrifice of the sons. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice. And friends, we may be the beneficiaries of his sacrifice. But man, if we are going to be blessed, we also must be a blessing. And in the family of God, to both be a blessing and receive a blessing requires what? Sacrifice. 
Jesus could not be a blessing without first being a sacrifice. And Jesus cannot be blessed by us passing our crowns back onto his feet without first being what? A sacrifice. Likewise, beloved, you and me, sons and daughters, we cannot pass the buck of sacrifice to the next generation. For all you and I know, there may not be a next generation. And that means Jesus would return for about 12 people, <laughs> which is fine. He's done a lot with 12 people before. He'd be very pleased. But I believe in the heart of God for his son is a far greater offering than just a small remnant of a bride. But I believe there is a luscious, bold, beautiful, built up, complete, lacking nothing in the name of Jesus, looking like Jesus, sounding like Jesus, acting like Jesus, and moving in feats of power and morality like Jesus to be found in this earth. But if he's going to receive her, we are going to have to sacrifice to what? Birth her. I appreciate anybody this morning. Is this good? Is this helping? Pastor Matt, I'm kind of failing at business and I'm kind of failing at purity. I'm kind of failing at all these areas. Do you got anything to help me out with that? Yes. Be more like Jesus. <laughs> What's going to help my marriage? Jesus. What's going to help me quit looking at porn? Jesus. Well, no, pastor, we need actionable steps. Interesting. I never once saw Jesus give an actionable step in his life. His actionable steps were not how to, one, two, three, four. His actionable steps were, hey, how about you starve yourself and talk to God? <laughs> so don't do anything, including putting food in your body. Step one, do nothing. Step two, talk to nobody else but God. Got it? Get it? Got it? Good. Get it? Got it? Doubt it. He had to say it many times. Actionable steps Christianity is done. There's one step to Christianity. It's called die. There's one step to Christianity. It is give your life so that he may live through it. Give your life so that he may live. Pastor Matt, what does this have to do with Malachi? Malachi 1 is a prophetic image of what God is doing in the earth right now. He is birthing this sound. There has to be a Malachi, not just as a singular man. I am not claiming to be Malachi or a Malachi type and shadow before you. But instead, what I am prophetically saying to you and me is that Takeover Church is called to be a Malachi in the earth yet again where we call that which is unholy but is being offered up as holy as fraud. I'm not saying that we're going on YouTube preacher prophetic witch hunts. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying where we begin to look at you and me as Christians, not in name but in nature, and we begin to look at ourselves, we begin the good work of the inner work of evaluation and go, what is in me, what is in me that I possess, that I think, that I have, that I could give him, that I haven't, that I could go, that I haven't gone, all of it, your whole self, all that you are and all that you have and all that you've been given and all that you've kept. We begin the good work of 
self-evaluation, of church evaluation, who we are as an individual, who we are as a body, and we begin to decide, though none go with me, still I will follow. If every other church changes with the wind of doctrine and starts making their doors wide so that all can come, if they start saying that Jesus doesn't care about your sexuality, Jesus doesn't care that he made you a man, but you feel like you're a woman, Jesus doesn't care. If the rest of the world changes with the wind of doctrine, He doesn't move anymore. If they start to follow every change of the wind of doctrine, you and I will remain to what we know to be true. God be true, every man be a liar. I don't care if there's four of us. We'll meet in my living room, okay? None of this is what I do this for. It's him. It's him. And none of this can be what you do this for. This, this is a byproduct. This is a consequence, a healthy one. This is a ramification of your and I's obedience, of your and I's ability to die and die well, to die and stay dead, to die and remain upon that altar so that he can breathe a holy fire, amen? See, I love the book of Malachi and I've been basking in it recently because it's, it may be the greatest rebuke of all of scripture. And I'm going to be honest, in, in my 17 years of ministry and my 17 years of following Jesus and all the time that I've done this, coming up on 18 in March, which is crazy already, your boys, your boys been, been around. But all of my time, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to say I did not, I did not see the did not see the gem that the book of Malachi was. Now that I have, I, I just can't get enough. It's, it's actually fascinating to see what the Lord was saying to the early church, quote unquote, Israel, and how it's literally being re-said to the church today. Well, how do I know that? Because we're doing the same things Israel was doing in the church today. <laughs> I want to say this before we dive into the scripture. Obviously, there's a lot of focus on Israel and takeover church, we stand with Israel. Why? Because God stands with Israel. That's not up for debate. Don't listen to TikTok preachers. Don't listen to Telegram idiots. Don't listen to anybody out there saying anything contrary. And read your Bible for yourself and you'll see God's heart for Israel. If you cannot be certain of God's promise to Israel, how can you be certain of God's promise to you? Hear me. He's hearing me. (laughs) Hearing me this morning. The best part about God's heart for Israel is that his same heart is for the church. Is that there is not a, there's debates out there and we're not going to get into it, but it's silly. It really is because I think scripture is incredibly clear. It's just people get hung up on like two things and they're dumb. Bottom line is the church did not replace Israel. There was an old covenant with a singular group of people. And now there is a new covenant where all can come, where anyone who's willing to die to themselves and live for Jesus can come. And that is Jew and Gentile, Greek and Roman, all of us alike. Amen. And so there's no replacement. There is actually just an overpouring to the outsider to now become insiders. 
So what was for a single group of people is now available to all people and that God will go to those who want him and God will run from those who reject him. It's no longer about bloodline of the Jewish people, but about the bloodline of a Jewish man who is fully God. <laughs> Amen. So that's what you need to understand. I wanted to make sure that was abundantly clear. There's no replacement theology that doesn't make sense. If you read the book of Revelation, it's actually the church's job to woo Israel back to believing in Jesus as the Messiah. <laughs> We're supposed to love him so well that the Jews go, you know what, there might be something about him. We may have gotten that wrong a long time ago. That's the point. We're supposed to move in such love and affection and power of Christ that his first bride, his first chosen people, listen, God has one bride. Let that clear up all theology. Is there Israel and the church? No, God has one bride. And there's a place in her for Israel and for you and me. And as the church, we are called to woo Israel into the church. Amen? Is this clear? Fantastic. Malachi. Malachi is a prophet, and in the, in the, in it's so silly because people call him a minor prophet because we, didn't, we don't really see uh, you know, him you know, slaying 400 prophets of Baal or anything crazy like Elijah. Instead, what we see him do is attempt to lay down his life to literally like we just got done saying, rebuke and woo Israel into a place of seeing God rightly. We actually begin to see an inside look, and this is prophetic for you and I today as people who are alive in Christ in this hour. This is prophetic for us today because I believe this is a rebuke of the bride as much as it was a rebuke of Israel back then because for whatever reason, you and I, we have allowed ourselves to take on the name of Christ. We have foregone uh, foregone the nature of Christ. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit was given to you and I so that we could be like him in our nature. Because it's our nature like him that will keep us from being like Israel in this scripture. Are you hearing me? Okay. Malachi 1, here we go. 6 through 14. It'll be up on the Sky Bible. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that, to, present that to your governor. He will accept you or will he show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there would be one among you 
who would shut the doors that you might not kindle a fire on my altar in vain. Have I no pleasure in you? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense and worship will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations says the Lord of hosts but you profane it and when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruits that its foods may be despised but you say what weariness is this what weariness is this you snort at it says the Lord of hosts you bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or is sick and this you bring as your offering Shall I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am great. I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we ask right now, God, that you would come, that you would move again, even now in this service, God, that right now, Lord, we would look to this amazing minor prophet, God, who is majoring in some major things, God, that I believe you are saying to your bride, we need to take care of in this time. So, Father, help us. Help us to see that which is lame that which was taken by violence, that which is sick, that which is blemished, that which isn't pure, that which is polluted, God, that we in our lives and as our lives have offered you, God, help us to see it, Lord. Show us so that we can be faithful to you for the rest of the days of our lives. Father, we love you. Holy Spirit, come. Begin to do the good work on the inside of us, Lord, of showing us the polluted and bringing about purity in its place. Father, we love you. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. His blood has been known in this room today. His sacrifice has been experienced. And Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that you continue to open deaf ears in Jesus' name. I pray right now, Lord, that we would continue to see, Lord, that we would not be content with 50%, Lord, or 70%, Lord, but we are here to see 100% of the blood of Jesus get its full reward for the sacrifice and the offering that it deserves, God. So come, be glorified in this room, King. Don't do it off the backside of a man or a woman. Don't do it for my glory. Don't do it to put this church on the map. Father, keep us hidden if it means you get your glory. Come, Lord, move amongst the saints. We're ready to be changed and be more like you today. In Jesus' mighty and perfect and undefeated name, we all said, amen. Holy fire, holy fire, holy fire. So I love... I love the book of Malachi. And as you can see, we're not gonna we're not gonna reiterate everything we just said on saying, but as you can see in this moment, Malachi, he is going to Israel and he is a minor prophet. It's it's hilarious because he's majoring in some very major things. In fact, his heart is breaking for some very major grievances in the church. As you can tell from just reading these scriptures, 
He is grieved. There are things that are wrong in the church of Israel. There are things that are wrong in the temple. And God in this moment is showing his heart. You see, so many of us, we read the Old Testament and we go, God was so harsh. And you're like, no, God is just holy. He's not harsh. He's holy. But because you and I, we live in a broken, fallen, sinful world, we have no framework for holiness. We have next to none. Friends, he, he only is around that which he is like. He only comes close to that which has been made like him. That which is pure, that which is holy, that which is without sin or blemish. He only moves towards that which is holy. And what's interesting is that we have found throughout the scriptures, but specifically in this one, as as Malachi begins to highlight all these things, we'll get to that specifically in a second. What's interesting is that he starts off and he goes, am I not your father? So where's my honor? Sons honor their father. And then he goes on top of that, "Am am I not your master? Because servants live in fear, and obviously fear, don't get hung up on it. I'm scared of God. Some of us, we should have a little bit more fear of God, absolutely. But it's, but it's, but it's a reverence, it's a respect, it's, a, it's another level. It's not, just, it's not just simply, I'm scared of you. It's, you are God. I am but dust. That should create... <laughs> A little space in that relationship for respect and honor and yes, even some fear. If I'm going to be by you, I got I to gotta move rightly around you. <laughs> Amen. So let's not, let's not be like the rest of the world and get tied up in knots around something so skittish like that. It's silly. It's silly. We, we can think bigger. Amen. And so he, he starts it off. He goes, am I... Am I not your father? Am I not your master? Where is my honor? Where is, where is my fear? And I think this is paramount because some of us, I think we have a really great framework for Jesus as our get out of hell free card. I think we have a great framework for Jesus as my consequence reliever. <laughs> I think we have a great understanding of Jesus as savior. Like he is really good at saving. I have a savior. And so that means because I have a savior, I can continue on being stupid. And because I continue on being stupid, I'll continually need my savior. And so he meets this need in my life and I give him purpose. And that's how most Christians live. That's whack to use an American colloquialism. That is whack. That is not our God. That is not his point. We do not continually screw up to give him purpose. In fact, the purpose of a savior is to save us, continue to save us, present us sanctified, totally, completely, prophetically, perfectly saved, and then we live in perfection in heaven for the rest of eternity. That's what he does. Not sin to sin to sin, check in with Jesus, cover. Sin to sin to sin, check in with Jesus, cover. Sin to sin, check in with Jesus, cover. In fact, what that tells us is that we not only have a very poor framework for Jesus, we have next to no framework for God the Father. And we like God the Spirit we fear him when he shows up in service because we don't know what to do when he starts you know, opening up ears and stuff. 
but we like him because when we worship is hot, when the worship is banging, when that song slaps and we're in it and we're feeling it, we're like, oh, I got the holy goosebumps. He's here. He's good. Yes. Oh, and I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. But what if I told you the Holy Spirit wasn't just for experience, but he was for edification? What if I told you, especially Gen Z, what if I told you this morning that he's not just for experience, he's for edification? What if I told you the Holy Spirit, much like Jesus, who isn't there to perpetually save you from just the sin that you continue to roll in, but the Holy Spirit is actually here? Yes, there is experiences that build faith, but how can you ever have an experience with them but not be edified by him? Pastor Matt, what does edified mean? Be built up. It literally means to create an edifice. What is an edifice? A masterpiece. When Paul calls us the Messiah's masterpiece, this is literally what he means. You are the edifice of God. He had a lot of temples. He's had a lot of tabernacles. And now he lives in man. And you are designed to be his masterpiece, his goal for you, that you would be the edifice of his life. That he would create something so glorious in you that all of hell and all of creation and everything that is will look and see the glory of the God lived out through you. Are you hearing me? And so all of a sudden when we start to get proper framework and we start to hear these things. I honestly, I think God is looking at the church specifically in America today and going, am I not father? Am I not master? Like, what if you took a step back and you went, hey, God, reveal yourself to me as master. Talk about revel up to level up, baby. What if you got a revelation of Jesus that he's master and your bondservant, like Jesus said, like Paul said, like all throughout the New Testament is said because everyone's trying to divorce from the Old Testament today and it's like, no, it's still all valid. In fact, Jesus raised the stakes. He didn't eradicate the law. He fulfilled the law. He, didn't, he took it from you having an affair with somebody to you even thinking about somebody sexually in your heart <laughs> who is not your spouse that's sin. You miss the mark in your heart, not just in your pants. You want to talk about it, we're going to talk about it. You want to be an edifice or not? Man, before anything happens between your legs, it happens between your ears. You got to start renewing your mind. You got to start reveling up so you can level up. You have got to get a revelation of God as master. What does that mean? A master decides what you do and what you don't do. In fact, he decides what is even an option for you to do. That's what a master means. I'm master. That's what God's saying. I'm master. That means here's a confine for what you as a son and as a servant of the most high God, this is not only where you're allowed to operate, this is what will keep you safe. This, will, this is what will help you keep being sanctified. This is what will help you stay in relationship with me and not leave me. This is the parameters of the property of the kingdom of God. And in this stronghold, 
The Lord is my stronghold of my life, right? Whom shall I fear? In this stronghold is all of your blessing and all of your safety and all of your perfecting. In this. Anything outside of this will you cease being a servant and you cease being a son or a daughter. And instead, what you end up being is a deconstructor, an apostate, people who Paul says, it would be better for you to go and save new people than spend your time trying to bring back one who knew the truth but gave up the truth. He also makes it very clear that if you were to somehow resurrect a spiritually dead person, (laughs) there's a great seat in heaven available to you, he tells us in the book of Hebrews. But these are the, can I say it this way? These are the games we've been found playing. These are the games. These are the games. Because right now, Israel, by their actions, by their offerings and by their sacrifices, are worshiping God as people who are not like him. When you've been in deep relationship with somebody, guess what? You begin to know how they are. You begin to think like them, see like them, believe like them, right? That's why it's important to do relationships together. That's why church matters so much. But all of a sudden, you begin to understand. You begin to see them. You begin to think like them. And you know, hey, this gift will please them. This gift won't. They will have use for this. They will have no use for this. This will bring them so much joy, right? This, this, they would laugh at this. Are you hearing me? I got one person who's hearing me. Are you hearing me? You see, when you begin to be like him, you begin to think like him, see like him, react like him, respond like him. And all of a sudden, how you begin to offer to him and sacrifice to him becomes pleasing to him. Hear me. God has already had one singular, good, perfect, acceptable and pleasing offering and his name was Jesus. So what does that mean? Every other offering and every other sacrifice could never measure up. So what does that mean? That means the only way to live in a way that is good, <laughs> that is acceptable, acceptable, and that is pleasing to him is to live like Jesus. Are you hearing me? You see, he's already been ruined for every other sacrifice. His, his altar is no longer fit to accept anything else outside of the Son. He is no longer interested, in fact, in the new covenant of continuing to slay things, to sacrifice things, to offer up anything lesser than the one true, good, and perfect slain lamb. And you, we cannot replicate the one good, true, and perfect slain lamb, we can only live in, live out, live through, die in, and live by the one good, true, and perfect slain lamb. Are you hearing me? 
This is the glory of Jesus. This is the glory of Jesus. This is what he does when you and I begin to live as Christ, in Christ, and through Christ, and quote unquote, by Christ. Funny how a lot of us, we miss that. Woke up today, what did you do? I went here, I did this, looked at this porn, talked to this girl, talked to this guy, flirted with a girl at my work who's not my wife. Got my emotional cup filled up by a guy at work who's not my husband. Started to covet somebody else's marriage in my heart. And all of a sudden, I start hearing these things and I go, so which one of those were authored by Christ? Because I thought we lived by Christ. Because it's not enough to be Christ in name. Because what's acceptable on his offer has to be Christ in nature too. Are you hearing me? This is heavy, I understand, but the hour is late, the times are dark, and we got to get ready. We don't have time for light and fluffy. We have to have heavy because we have to get ready. We have to get ready. You see, what happens in this moment is God, he's, he's talking to Israel through Malachi, which I believe he's going to do to the church through takeover, and it's not, believe me, I don't want this. <laughs> I would much rather preach 20 minutes long have an hour-long service, and then just be the next Stephen Furtick, live off my charisma, not saying that's what he's doing. I would just prefer to take that route, have 5,000 people in a couple of years, and just be the next greatest thing, going on CBN and praying for the president and being found in rooms, and I would much prefer that. But God has chose us as a church to what? Help get the bride ready. Trust me, the financial strain, be a lot easier. The compliments, be a lot better. The rebukes, I'd ignore them. You know? It'd be a lot easier just to go along to get along, but I don't want to go along to get along. I want to get down to go up. I appreciate anybody this morning. I want to take down so we can see Jesus take over. Like, this is what we came to do. I didn't know that five years ago, but we would have been living different this whole time. Believe me, because he points it out right here. He says, listen, you're offering me up sacrifices like you despise my table. Notice, Psalms have already been written and David has already prophetically said and tabernacles have already been singing. The Lord is my shepherd. He prepares a table for me in the midst of my enemies. Israel as a church and as a people already have an interpretation of God's table. But how they sacrifice and what they bring to it shows that they despise it and they despise it because they don't know it. And they don't know it because they haven't taken the time to be made like him. Well, Pastor Matt, nobody could be made like him back then. It wasn't for, there's like, there's quite a few people who walked really close with God. So close that they quit walking on earth. So miss me with that one. There was a way. There was a way. It's just kind of like today where we know the way requires great sacrifice and great offering and we, we are unwilling to pay that sacrifice or give up that offering. But he makes it clear. He's like, listen, you know about my table and you know what I do with it. I've offered you a table in the midst of your enemies where literally we can have a relationship. See, David, David too did not, David, obviously, Jesus comes from David, okay? We know that. So that means he preceded Jesus. He was there first, right? We understand that? Okay, 
he's writing about the Lord's table. And this church, this tabernacle, these people already have an understanding for the Lord's table and what that means and what that offers us. And yet they live like they despise it by what they bring to it. No, no, no. I, I prepared a table for you where I will feed you, where I will water you. I will offer you myself. You will stand face to face with me. And in fact, you will be so close to me so intimately that when we are breaking bread, all of your enemies, they will be around watching and realizing they don't have a shot at taking you out. In fact, they don't have a shot in hell because you are seated in heaven. Preaching anybody? I love that you kind of got to kind of swear to get the American church to light up. It's kind of funny. Got to get as close to, close to that line as you can by keeping it biblical. But it's true. There's not a shot in hell when you are seated in heaven. And most Christians, they, they, we don't live with this amount of awareness because unfortunately we live in a time and place where, where laziness in every arena has been acceptable but what we can see right here is that lazy offerings are not acceptable. And I preach to anybody. He goes, listen, listen, you despise the table. Well, how do we despise your table? Because you have brought me, listen, he says, you have vowed a male offering, which means what? The one that has the seed that produces life. Which means that if I don't provide another one, you're out of luck, champ. You're giving God your best, your most certain your most, your most sure, sure shot at success and prosperity. Every hope, every dream, every, every hope of having any kind of prominence or being any kind of popular people in the earth all goes to the altar. So you vowed it, but what instead you've brought me was, well, what the Lord says is evil. You didn't bring me your best. You brought me literally your worst. He's like, you wouldn't even give that to Governor Whitmer. That's what he said, right, Governor? He says, you wouldn't offer this up to somebody who is aborting babies. You wouldn't offer this up to somebody, right, who's funding hate wars. You wouldn't offer this up to somebody in your castles. You wouldn't offer these things up if all of a sudden some terrible king, some terrible governor, some terrible mayor amongst you decided to come to your house. You would not offer up your sick, your broken, or your lame, even though you know they're evil, and yet this is what you've given the king. If that does not shake you, I don't know what will. Because there are things in me, in myself, I'm telling you, this word has been marinating in me for six weeks before this moment. And I've had to look, am I a, am, am I a pastor in name alone? Or am I, a, am I a Christian in my nature? Because it's entirely possible to be a pastor, a prophet, a teacher, an evangelist, an administrator. You name any of the five-fold ministry. It's entirely possible to operate in the gifts of the Spirit while being in name alone and have no nature. You see, some time ago, there were people who decided we wanted all of the truth of God. We just wanted his truth. We just wanted his rules, his regulations, and we wanted to live a safe, secure, quiet life. Morally good, morally sound. 
And then there were those who were like, I want God's power. I want God's greatness. I want God's this, that, and the lightning, and all the, the shabam. They wanted it. So what's interesting is the ones who wanted God in truth and in morality forsaked, forsook, whatever word, his power and his glory. But the ones who wanted his power and his glory, his spirit, are often found being the ones who have forsaken or forsook his truth and his morality. And so all of a sudden, some of the most prophetic voices who are actually hearing from God, because they're gifted that way, the gifts and call of God are without revoke, without reproach, amen. He does not repent for giving gifts, even if you and I just decide to be a bunch of bums and live unworthy of the calling we've been given. He doesn't take those gifts back because he's a man of his word. Let God be truth and every man be a liar. And so we've seen prophetic voices live pathetic lives. And then we've seen people who are so staunch on truth live completely powerless lives. And now is the time where we begin to bring him an offering that is so found in both spirit and truth that looks and sounds and acts like Jesus that God can begin to burn his holy fire back on. Think about it. What have you brought him that's lame? What have you brought him that's broken? If that's actually financially, like to the church, all those stuff, think about that for sure. But I honest to God, if, if God doesn't have your finances, he doesn't have your life. I don't care who you are. Like, God, you can have my heart, but you can't have my money. That makes no sense. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. That's what Jesus himself said. That makes zero sense, but that's not what we're talking about. But if there's an area in your life that is broken that you've brought him, and again, let's get out of the religious mindset. I thought it was okay to be broken. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm talking about when you've promised him to live fully for him, and yet you've only lived partially before him. What is broken? You promised me this strong male of your flock, the one that your whole future is built upon, that if I don't bring you another, if I don't pour out such a blessing on you, all of this goes down. That's life, that trust, that promise to me. That's what he's talking about. You promised me a strong male. What did you bring me? I brought you an impotent chicken. It walks backwards. In fact, everything it does is backwards. <laughs> Like this is, this is the reality of what these people were bringing. Literally, God says, I wish there was a man among you who would just shut the doors so that you could not kindle another evil fire upon my holy altar. Hear me today. We are going to despise the evil fire and we are gonna pursue a holy fire. Are you hearing me? We are going to despise the evil fire and we are going to pursue a holy fire. We are going to reject bringing broken, lame, and evil offerings before him. And we are going to pursue what? Pure, holy, and holy fire and altar of God. Worship team, you can make your way up here. Listen. What's amazing is that God points us out, and I thank him for his mercy. God, I thank you for your mercy. For your, it is merciful that he has given his, his scripture. 
Some of us, we don't see the word of God that way. That's actually mercy. Could you imagine if all we had was folklore and spoken tales about a time that was, that a time that could have been, but we didn't have his written word that he says, I am emphatically forever faithful to? If we didn't have that, could you imagine trying to pursue this God without even knowing his name, without even knowing what pleases him, what is acceptable to him? Could you imagine? Not only would we never succeed, what would our desire be like? What would our want be like? I want to ask you this question today. He says, oh, I wish that a man would shut the doors so that we could not continue to kindle evil fires. Listen, 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 listen. Let me be the man this morning to help you shut some doors. What are areas, what are things, what are people, what are relationships, what are desires, what are job opportunities, what are places? All of it has to be up for grabs. Hear me, all of it. Not everything in you that you want to do, see, or experience is going to be or amount to an evil offering. However, if you've promised him and then you've gone back on that promise in pursuit of those other offerings, of those other ideas, of those other dreams, those other visions, then by osmosis of being next to him, they will in fact turn out to be evil. Listen, he says, shut the doors. God would rather close up a church than allow unholy and evil, broken, sick and lame offerings to be continued to give to him. To me, that's, to me, that's grace. To me, that's mercy. To me, I hear that and I go, yeah, God. If it meant all of us right now, we are as holy and as good as we're ever going to be unto him in order to ensure that we close this place down and he has shut it all up and we didn't have a chance to ruin it, that's mercy. Man, I've, I've heard stories where people are pretty sure. Well, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. There's just not time. Sorry. <laughs> there's not time. We could be here all day if we wanted to be. I'm all about it. You know that. But I think there's a greater work to be than my little bunny trail is about to go on. Listen. God says, I wish that a man would shut it up. And he goes on and he talks about, you said you'd give me this, and you said you'd give me this, and this is what you have given me, this is what you have presented to me. Israel, I love you. The bride, I love you. Church, I love you. I am your father, I am your master. I have been good, I have been faithful. 
I have called you out of darkness and into my glorious light. I have given you an opportunity. In fact, the only opportunity you will ever need, he has already given to you to not only be in relationship with him, but to then by proxy of that relationship be made like him. It's already been given. And all we need to do is live in it. Live it out. Live by it. Live through it. Live with it. And all of a sudden, what we begin to put on that offering, what we begin to put up as offering onto that altar is acceptable and pleasing. Listen. You know what's interesting? Is that he literally says, pleasing and acceptable. Now, in my little religious Irish mind, I go, this is how David I get about things in my life. God, I don't want to just be acceptable. I want to be pleasing. But that's not what he's saying. And that's why the words aren't in that order. He's not saying to make your pursuit one that is pleasing over acceptable. He is saying your pursuit must be one that is pleasing so that it can be acceptable. See, in America, we go, I don't want to be acceptable because we got to go for broke every time. We have got to shoot it all. And if we can't just do it all and attain it all, then we won't even go any lengths or any distance. We might as well quit now. That's how Americans live. And he's going, no, 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 no. The only way you can be accepted is if you are pleasing. You're not in competition with yourself. You are in rejection of the Son. And you need to stop rejecting what He came to do and start participating in all that He has for you. If your marriage was founded by Him, built in Him, resurrected through him established in him your communication issues they will cease your lust issues for another lover will cease repentance and exposure of sin will be easy and they'll be welcomed see how all of the things we we concern ourselves talking about and how easy they're all fixed when they're done in Jesus. Divorce isn't an option in Jesus, so what is an option? Resurrection. <laughs> Sexual sin isn't an option in Jesus, so what's the option in Jesus? Sexual purity. Murder isn't acceptable in Jesus, so, so what is acceptable in Jesus? Forgiveness. <laughs> right? Do you see how this begins to shift? Would you stand? Would you stand? See, there's a way where holy sacrifice begets holy fire. There's a way where holy obedience begets holy fire. There's a way where a holy offering begets holy fire. And then there's the other way in fact, every other way, where any other offering or any other sacrifice 
where your second best or your worst. When that's brought to him, it doesn't beget fire at all. It just gets rejected and he wants to shut the doors. So I wonder, church, can I ask you a question? Do you desire to live pleasing and acceptable? <laughs> because that's the question that's wrecked me for six weeks. As I've worked through this, as I've sat with this, as I've allowed this to be inside me, I had to look at myself, not just as, not just as Pastor Matt, but as Matt. I had to ask, I, I, do I want to play the role of a pastor or do I want to fulfill the inheritance of a son? Because the inheritance of a son is the ability to live a life that is pleasing and because it's pleasing, therefore it is acceptable to him. So do we want to play the role of a Christian or do we want to fulfill our inheritance as a son or as a daughter and live pleasing and that pleasing it becomes acceptable unto him. I want to live a life that is pleasing to God. I want to live a life that is acceptable to him. But why? Because what could be better? What could be better? I've had the drugs, they're not better. I've had the relationships, they're not better. I've watched all the porn, it's not better. I've seen the places, I've traveled the world, it's not better. I've had the money. I made more money in two years as a mixologist in a bow tie than I've ever made in my life as a pastor. It's not better. It's not better. Pastor Matt, you didn't make enough money. If you think you could ever have a bank bigger than he is deep, by all means, brother, pursue it. But I'm telling you, it won't be better. And it won't be deeper. And it won't be bigger. So what I want to do right now is I'm going to open up the altar. Chris is already making his way. Chris is like, I'm coming. We're praying today. We're praying. I'm going to join you because I, I don't want to preach this to you. I want to live this out before you. I want to live a life like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Like I, oh God, could you imagine as Christians, if we got to a place where we could honestly tell people, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What did Paul know about Christ and how did Paul live like Christ? Where he wouldn't have to be compromised in saying that, but he would be sure if you lived like him, you would stay not just in the parameters of the kingdom, but you stay faithful to the king. Because there's a difference between being in the parameters of the kingdom and staying faithful to the king in your heart. You can stay in the parameters of the kingdom as the day is long and be unfaithful to the king in your heart. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I look at myself and I go, is what's in my nature, my new nature, is that worthy of saying, imitate me? How I see God, how I love my wife, how I love myself, how I love my neighbor, how I love my enemy, how I live before him, can I say that? 
That's the pursuit I'm on. That's the pursuit I welcome you into. That's what I believe our God is saying to you and to me today. So as we open up the altar, I'm not going to shut it down. I'm going to open it up. And I'm going to open it up because I believe right now the Holy Spirit has been working on the inside of us, taking out the pollutants and purifying us. And young and old alike, I'm telling you, God wants to move towards you, but he only moves towards his son, Jesus. So today is about realigning reorganizing and reorienting ourselves firmly within the sun in spirit and in truth not just in parameter but in heart and in mind and I believe right now the, the move of God is going to continue to happen in this room today's been a special and significant day and it's by his grace and his mercy and I don't believe his grace and his mercy has ceased I believe right now right now will not just define how you finish 2023 but right now has the opportunity to define how you finish the rest of your life if you will allow it so i open up the altar i'm gonna pray the worship team's gonna sing feel free come cry come soak come confess god i long for the day church let me tell you i long for the day when people aren't shy in their confession and aren't shy in their pleas and their cries but instead i'm gonna pull the microphone away i wish for a church where we would be at the altar we go worry about keeping it clean or keeping it kosher but we worried about keeping it Jesus and last I checked he was a man who prayed loud and sweated blood and until we've reached that point we haven't tapped all there is amen so I'm gonna pray the altars open come cry come groan come yell come be quiet come sit before the king and reorient yourself. Father, right now I ask, yes team, worship lead us. Father, I ask right now, God, open, release the groan. Release the groan, God. Release the groan. Release, God, the inaudible in us so you can release the immeasurable in you. Release the indiscernible cry within us so you can release the immeasurable move of God. Release, God. Release the inaudible to release the immeasurable. Release the indiscernible, God, so you can release the inexhaustible, the immeasurable and inexhaustible power of gospel Jesus. Come, come, come. In Jesus' mighty name, let the altars fill. Let the altar be wet with tears and holiness, with full offerings. God, I want to imitate you. I want to be like you. I want to be able to faithfully say to a church, be like me. Because somehow, someway, by obedience and faithfulness by God, I've become like Jesus. Go. 
come. Release your holy fire, God. Release your holy fire on a whole offering. Release your holy fire on a whole sacrifice. Release your holy fire on a holy body, on a holy people, on a holy bride, God. The pursuit of the hero of the grave. Just like you, Jesus. Just like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Come. Oh, just like you, Jesus. Just like you, Jesus. Just like you, Jesus.